You are listening to Awakening Vitality with Dr. Jai. Hey guys, Dr. Jai here. Welcome to episode four of the Awakening Vitality podcast. This week, our special guest is Patrick James Bracken. Very excited to have him on the show. And we do dive deep into some really interesting territory, talking about COVID, talking about sexuality, talking about exploring consciousness, a really interesting conversation that takes many different tangents and many different turns. Definitely a conversation or a podcast for those who are deep divers. So enough for me for now. Uh, Brief intro on Patrick. Patrick, also known as Phoenix, is a Pleiadian starseed holding point for the frequency of the 5D New Earth paradigm shift. He has been deeply engaged in the journey of awakening since 2011. He currently facilitates journeys and workshops for individuals and groups within the realms of sexuality, neo-tantra, consent, and archetypal embodiment. Now, you can find him on uh, Instagram under Tantra Demystified. So please enjoy the show today and uh, I will see you soon. Okay, you are watching and listening to Awakening Vitality with Dr. Jai. My special guest for this week's show is Patrick James Bracken. Welcome. Thanks, Jai. Nice to be with you. Yeah, pleasure. Um, Looking forward to our chat today um, as it's the the first opportunity or the first guest I've had on the show where we're going to um, get stuck into talking about some stuff around sexuality, around Tantra, around spirituality, all kinds of things. And um, yeah, really excited to be talking about some of this content because in the previous shows, um, we've talked more about energetic healing and things along these lines. So yeah, excited to be talking about some of this stuff with you. The first thing I wanted to ask you was perhaps um, maybe if you could just share a little bit about your journey in the sense of um, where you are now um, in terms of what you're doing, uh, whether it's, you know, with the, the conscious sexuality work and the tantra work and, you know, an awakening and how you kind of found yourself in this place, you know, what was the... A little bit of the journey and how it happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's, I. I feel like I had a huge inflection point in my <clears throat> awakening journey, so to speak, in in twenty eighteen. Uh, well, I guess twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen, because twenty seventeen was really like this dark night of the soul experience. And I'd had similar experiences like that on a few occasions back in 2012, 2013. And 2017 just went really, really deep. It's like, uh, became very intensely, um, yeah, basically suicidal. Um, and for me, that was a really powerful and important experience. Because then as I was able to actually come back to my body, which was really, I played out a lot of uh, programs, as I think of them, uh, that are very common, um, sort of spiritual, emo- emotional bypassing programs. So 
in 2018, I started to get, I started to really delve um, seriously into the world of sexuality, neo-tantra, um, became very, I sometimes say obsessed, what's the better, so some, somebody advised me that that's a better word than obsessed, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> very passionate, I don't know, about Yeah, about passion consent. is a bit more positive, yeah. Yeah, things like consent and boundaries and just understanding these things, you know, like deeper layers, and it just kind of became my, you know, full-time existence at some point, um, yeah, tw 2019, last year in June, that was the last time that I that I was working a job, and I just I'd, I'd been through a death ritual at um, at uh, the spiritual spiritual sexual shamanic initiation. Mm. Just, uh, this is uh, Easter. Yep. <clears throat> so that was the level two course that they run, and I went to that in April last year, so just over a year ago. And yeah, so this was. It, it's kind of like the most informal possible education that anybody could ever experience. Um, <laughs> I, I, I imagine I, I did do four semesters of a psychology degree back in 2010 to 2012. And then I decided that academia was not for me. So yeah, the, I've been to a few of these Easter trainings and I've also been to a sacred sexuality practitioner training. Uh, called Temple Hall, mm -hmm. and that's with the School of Erotic Mysteries. So, uh, with uh, Shawnee, were... Shawnee Love runs that, doesn't he? Is that right? Shawnee Love, yes, it does. Yep. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I I really love Shawnee. Uh, he's yeah, it just brings an amazing kind of humility and balance to the space where he's. I think what 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 was really missing. Um, in not that, not that I'm I'm never going to bash 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 Ista because I, I I think it's just really amazing and powerful um, processes and a you know, group of whole organism. Um, but what Shawnee really brings is this balanced perspective around gender and sexuality, and also around he's very self-aware around the the, the woo. So he really, he really just says that, you know, it's like, this is going to be a bit woo. Things just went a bit woo there. We went into a bit of a, um, a wormhole with the audio, but it's sounding oh, like we're back, we're back on track now. Oof, just after you were talking about things going woo, it just went a little bit woo with the audio. But anyway, there we go. We're back on track. <laughs> I actually noticed this recently is that the, the quality of a connection through the internet, it actually seems to be, how do I say this? Dependent on, on the alignment of the conversation. Hmm. And so what I've found is that sometimes, uh, sometimes somebody might call me and, um, you know, they might just be feeling a bit overwhelmed and they, and they're really looking for some support. And, uh, but maybe in that moment, I just don't have space for that. And maybe I'm not, yeah. that's not my, that's not an alignment for me in that moment to sort of hold that space for them. And then somehow like the, just the line just keeps dropping out and I'm just like, 
<laughs> well, I hope um, I hope for the sake of uh, my show and for the sake of the podcast listeners that um, that, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I feel, the I universe feel, doesn't decide to um, cut out our audio. I feel very aligned in, in this conversation, actually. It yeah, me really, too. Me too. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's something there's something about this, this synchronicity. It's, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. Cool. So, um. All that stuff's really interesting, um, and I think the uh, the temple whore is um, it's a very charged um, phrase, isn't it? And and for it some is. people, I think who are hearing that who have no experience um, or awareness around this kind of work, that's going to bring up a lot of um, charge, isn't it? And they're just like, what what what's what's that? Like that's really loaded, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's it's it's very common, and you know I I I tend to remind myself just how much of a uh, a bubble that I tend to exist within, in terms of the kind of people that I'm having conversations with on a daily basis, and I you know I do I do have outlets to you know the uh, more. How do you say it? Like, I, I want to say mainstream, but I feel like that has a negative connotation. So, like, just the sort of like the perspective that people tend to hold when they haven't done uh, all sorts of um, deep dives into sexuality and emotional release and you know, consent and boundaries and death and the underworld and all of these um, really intense places that that we go and and, and it's. I really like that I use the word places because there's a there are there are these extra dimensional realms that we journey through mm. that starts to become very clear even for the for the logical mind for the conscious mind to ju- to just really realize like I'm journeying through certain spaces uh, maybe liminal spaces is like a common way to describe these things so yeah, no, I, I I think that um the bubble's very real, and it doesn't have to just be in the case of the kind of um, work that you're talking about or we're we're talking about. It, it's also on a much more broad scale. You know, this is something the bubble is something that I very much notice around um, people such as yourself and myself who spend a lot of time in conscious community. You know, maybe for example, this could be the north side of Melbourne, broadly speaking, and and forgetting that a large segment of Australia and similar in the States as well. If you've been to the States, you know, you have your really progressive cities um, like New York and San Francisco and, you know, and, and California and stuff. But, and it's quite similar between American and Australia in this sense, you forget that actually this huge amount of the country, in fact, probably even the majority is totally not on that level at all, you know, not at all. And um, there's still, I think a lot of um, lack of awareness there to some of this, um, these levels of consciousness. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I, I feel like, I feel like the, the current uh, situation. <laughs> I have another friend that calls it that as well. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like for me, like to, I, I just, um, I just find that really zooming out helps and, when I say zooming out, I mean taking a, a perspective on 
the you know the events that are playing out in, in the world right now um and the also the narrative it's, i think it's very important to understand that there is there is a a kind of standard narrative and this tends to be perpetuated through the through the the media companies who mm. you know and i think this is quite obvious actually to probably almost everybody at this point i think almost everybody is actually realizing maybe i'm being optimistic but i i really feel that it's a very very high percentage of the population it's really starting to ask questions and just be like so um the world health organization should we trust them don't know <laughs> that seems like mm. yeah yeah I'd, I'd i'd agree it it does um i'm being hopeful and optimistic as well but it it does seem to me as though I've actually been a bit taken aback and a bit surprised at times when I've been looking at certain content on the internet or on social media in terms of, um, you know, looking at these alternative views that some label as conspiracy theories, you know, whether it's questioning um, the, the deeper agenda or the deep state or whether it's questioning um, the ideas around vaccinations or questioning what's really going on with the situation. Uh, I've been a little bit taken back and surprised actually that there has been the amount of people questioning um, this. Um, even if it's just sort of saying that something doesn't quite, something's a bit fishy about it, something doesn't quite seem right. You know, not, not even necessarily saying, hey man, it's the 5G, it's connected to the coronavirus, you know, like tinfoil hat out in the caravan, just, you know, like total out there, the reptilians and the Illuminati, man, you know. It doesn't have to be that um just even and that's what i kind of come back to as well I, I i have a lot of questions and a lot of um i'm not conclusively jumping on any bandwagon but but without a doubt what i can say and i think that a lot of people are feeling and i'm noticing is that something's not quite right something's something doesn't feel quite right does it it's like wait a minute Come on, like something, not quite sure, but something, something's not quite right. It doesn't feel like the, the word truth is so loaded because there's so many, like, so many perspectives. Yeah. So many, and whose truth is, you know, yeah, one person's so truth there's so is many ways of, um, There's so many ways of understanding a truth. You know, it, could, it could be an individual truth. It could be a collective truth. It could be this kind of... It could be a concept of truth. It could be, yeah, there's so many different truths, but um, if I kind of let myself get carried away with that thought. Um, the <laughs> You're going down the truth rabbit hole. The truth rabbit hole. So, yeah, the, I think the question is people are asking is just like, is this true? Like these, it's, you know, I've, all of this that I've been told for my whole life, you know, and that's, that is the biggest um challenge i think for the for for a person who's just beginning to question you know the the media narrative and just beginning to question you know it's like is it possible that i've had a there's just been a veil it's the whole time. Is it, is, it, is it possible that everything that I've ever been told is actually a lie? <laughs> mm. 
that's not confronting at all, is it really? That, that's not a confronting. Is, is my entire reality um, just completely different to what I was told? That's not a, that's not a challenging thing to, um, to face, is it really? I'm being sarcastic, by the way, to the listeners and watchers out there. It, it's just, it's ironic, isn't it? How much <laughs> it sounds like The Matrix. It's just like, we keep coming back to that movie. It's just uncanny how much that that movie is just so um groundbreaking and just the levels with which um you can use that movie as a metaphor for so much of what you're talking about right now and what we experience you know and even the how the matrix has become part of the popular vernacular you know using that term yeah and and i think that that also refers to what you were saying about the veil you know the veil essentially being another name for breaking through the veil, breaking through out of the matrix, um, waking up, seeing the world in a completely different way. It's a, it's a big thing to open to and take on, isn't it? I think it's definitely, um, it, it's, a, it's a huge shift in perception to, to really commit oneself to that journey mm. of discovering the, yeah, I think it's really the first layer that tends to reveal actually before anything is the it's the the truth of oneself and, and who we are as we let go of the concept that we are who we've been told that we are mm. and that we are, you know, the like basically you know, the thoughts in our head, the thoughts in our mind. And that's really like the first layer, I think. But that's that's only one of the many layers yeah and i and i think that i think this is the really important thing to come back to and what i keep um thinking of is that you know there is a situation right now um with the coronavirus and but the thing that i keep coming back to and it ties into what we're saying now is that i think ultimately as much as there is you know, there's this pandemic, there's this virus, there's a situation um, going on. The thing that I keep coming back to, and I think ultimately what this really comes back to at its deepest essence is, is actually much more than anything about a virus. It's, it's much, much deeper. And I think ultimately it really comes back to control and it comes back to yeah, concepts of control, of freedom, of consciousness, I think that's really more at the root of what's going on. You know, when you and I talk about the truth, feeling like something's not right, questioning the the mainstream agenda or narrative, you know, as much as there's a there's a situation with the virus, really the bigger root thing here is um is people becoming more aware or waking up to control um indoctrination and questioning yeah the main narrative of what's really going on you know I was, I was speaking to a friend the other day and it's this concept of the war on consciousness you know in in one in one sense living in the west we're very fortunate we're very blessed we have a huge amount of freedom um you know a lot a lot of what we want to do we can do a lot of usually. us have yeah <laughs> yeah usually i won't go too far in saying that um, to a certain extent, um, you know, a, a lot of us have comfortable homes to live. We have a, you know, 
a decent or reasonable income. Our basic needs are, are what our basic needs are being met. I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Our basic needs are being met on a level, you know, for a lot of us in Western culture that they may not be in um, third world countries, you know, and we, I think we, we don't realize that often we take it for granted is that in third world countries, this aspect of being in survival mode and just having to work so hard all the time just to make, meet your basic needs to provide for you and your family. This is something that is the main, um, the main thing going on. Whereas for us, you know, that's already taken care of. And so when you're completely consumed by meeting those basic survival needs, it's, it's a very different reality. Anyway, I'm getting off track. What I'm trying to say is that here, we have a lot of these um, very fortunate things and, and beneficial aspects in our lives living in the West. But this is what I was saying to my friend. On the other hand, it's almost a bit of an illusion because there's a lot of restriction and control when it comes to our consciousness in the West. And, and so on one hand, what I'm saying is that, yeah, we're so free. We have a lot of freedom in one sense, but in another sense, we don't. In another sense, we don't have much at all. We're very, very controlled, you know, in terms of what we can say, what we can do, what we're free to express, you know, there's actually a lot of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and something that I have been thinking about and talking about for actually a long time probably considering that I'm, I'm, I'm not very old. I'm, <laughs> it's been for a large percentage of my life. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, since I was about, uh, yeah, since, since 2012, I'd say particularly, you know, I started really questioning, uh, you know, the media and, you know, the, I think the, the first layers for me was, you know, the September 11, 2001, um, you know the yeah the the the, the standard narrative is, is just beyond a joke. It's like it's just it's just kind of hilarious. The only thing that actually keeps it alive is groupthink and the Operation Mockingbird for, by you know created by the CIA in the sixties, designed mm. to create mass hypnotism so that people would not question things. And they mm. created the term conspiracy theorists to label people with to make them seem like a lunatic. So to me. That that was the, just a portal into it, and I, in 2012, I did watch a film called Zeitgeist, mm. and yeah. it went into quite a quite incredible amount of detail about how the the how the the financial system works, how the the monetary system relates to central banks, how central banks relate to commercial banks, how central banks relate to government, and how the the fractional reserve lending that uh, you know commercial banks engage in and have been engaging in for a long time has basically just created a, a situation or a system or whatever you want to call it where there's just basically an extremely large amount of cash and and mainly mainly numbers in a screen, but those those have just been plucked out of the ether there's no actual value to it at all and since the 70s i don't remember which year but i know richard nixon was the president of the united states at the time they just removed the gold standard 
Mm. And they just said, well, the, you know, the, the currency, it's just going to be floating now. It's going to have a floating value against all the other currencies. And meanwhile, you know, it's, it's quite clear that there was, you know, kind of hidden agenda and there's, a, there's I would say, you know, beneficiaries behind the scenes <laughs> who just basically then have all the gold. And, you know, as far as I know, the name Rothschild just comes off a lot. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and I... And the Rockefellers? I, I, the Rockefellers, the Rockefellers I think the Rockefellers are definitely hugely involved in that kind of primary industry, also the media. Yeah. And so... Well, I think it's the Rockefellers... I think it's the Rockefellers that... Um, I'm not sure if they... Yeah, they have, they have a certainly a strong involvement or investment in who... As far as I'm aware, the Rockefellers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I think for me, all all roads lead to uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Clinton Foundation. Mm. Um, and having said that, there are also many other um, avenues through which, um, you know, the yeah, this uh, I don't even want to call it money because it's not all these national currencies. Any fiat currency is just it's it's based on a concept. It's not real. And this for for me for me, not for me for other people. <laughs> for me, I'm just kind of like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> mm. It seems like a big silly game. I don't know what's going on. There seems to be, you know, back in 2018, I looked up some statistics. It was 1.2 quadrillion dollars worth of derivatives in the economy. I was like, what the hell. <laughs> that is a ridiculous amount. Mm. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> it's it's um yeah it's 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 enough to sometimes make you feel like you're going crazy when so much of these astounding truths seem to be hiding in plain sight. That's a phrase that's used. Is hiding in plain sight that sometimes the most astounding truths whether we want to refer to ones labeled as conspiracy theories they're not they're not hidden they're actually lying in plain sight because that makes them actually more hidden because they're so incredibly obvious and it's enough sometimes to feel like um to make you feel like you're going crazy when for example you know i i stumbled across this recently after watching a documentary called out of the shadows i don't know if you've seen Mm -hmm. that and um, yeah, and it refers to a document that you can just go and Google and look at. It's a real document. It's, um, it's a document that was created by essentially the CIA, but it was, I can't remember what the name of the organization was. It was the name of the organization before they evolved, before they evolved into the CIA, essentially. <clears throat> so, so they were, it was the formative um, formative aspect of the CIA, I think around the, I don't know if it was the thirties or forties or fifties or something like that, but there's a document there in which in plain sight, you can look at, um, they outline the ways in which they are seeking or already in the process of using Hollywood and movies particularly and, and film and advertising to influence the populace and and stating in in plain facts in plain sight how um useful 
the um, the Hollywood film industry is and various other forms of media for them to use it to influence the thoughts, the mindset of the American public to suit their needs and their benefit. And it's just like, oh my God, like it's, it's right there. And, and then, you know, you kind of go, well, oh, well, you know, someone might say, oh, well, that doesn't mean that they're, that they're doing that now. And it's like, come on, like, <laughs> like, why would you, why would you state that? And then stop doing that. I mean, it's, and it, it's that kind of information. That's just an example of sometimes I get so frustrated and just go, come on, people, come on. Like, how can you not see this? Or, or even maybe it's being seen, but it's like there's a, a sense of, of apathy or, you know. Cognitive dissonance. Yeah, this, this, this concept of being asleep is an interesting one because it, it's literally mm-hmm. like you almost feel like you're, you're dancing around in front, you know, of these people or, mm-hmm. you know, or literally it's mm-hmm. the information's dancing around right in front of you, but it's like it may as well not even exist. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes it drives you crazy. Mm. Yeah, it gets interesting when you start to go down the... The, the matrix analogy uh, rabbit hole and you start to ask yourself, are all these people just part of a simulation? <laughs> <laughs> then it gets uh, super interesting. And then, I mean, and then the, you're, the, you're, the, you're, the only, you're the only person and the rest it's experiencing like it, the simulation. If it, when I'm, if I go down that rabbit hole just in my mind at any particular moment, it's like the, the kind of thing that comes up is like, okay, so all the people that kind of acknowledge me and just like, they just see me. And like those people are also the sort of independent agents, independent actors. Um, like the Truman Show. Like the Truman Show. <laughs> that was, I, I haven't seen that one in a long time. Yeah. Anyway, so, so the whole Matrix thing. Yeah, I, it's been interesting for me because over the last probably six to seven weeks i've actually spent quite a lot of well spent my time um uh it's such a program everything's time is money time is money time is money time is money yeah it's actually it's actually like a it's part of the 12th program so 12 months in a year um you know 60 seconds in a minute 60 minutes in an hour and there's there's these multiples of 12 uh, it, the, the whole program actually keeps us in in the three D perspective, and when we expand out into the the thirteen, and we start to think of it, things in the lunar cycle, and it's like okay, so there's thirteen cycles of twenty days, and we can get into the Mayan calendar, galactic calendar. It's a bit of a side note. Well, okay, so we're going back to this whole what I was spending my time doing is really getting online, especially down like rabbit holes on Facebook of people that, you know, are somewhat in my network or on the fringe of it. And just really, really like, just very directly with a lot of what I think of as like fire energy. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was, I was really calling out anything that I read that you know, where anything where people were referring to some kind of mainstream source, 
whether that was Wikipedia or like, you know, in the actual like news media online or something like that, people will say like, oh, look at this thing that's happening. Here's the article. And so then I would just get in there and just feel, it was mostly about like Bill Gates and vaccines and 5G and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I was just getting in there and just being like, hey, everybody, I don't think Bill Gates is your mate. Like, I, I think <laughs> if you actually start to ask yourself, does he have a depopulation agenda? You know, it's like, who's he friends with? You know, oh, Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, that's mm. funny. And who else is he friends with? Oh, he's friends with, oof, lots of people. <laughs> yeah. And then, you, then we get really deep. Also, Ted Turner. Ted Turner, one of the biggest figures in, in American news media ever, um, was literally asked on, on camera, you know, uh, Ted, how many, how many people do you think is better to have on the planet? What do you think is the best amount? You know, should we, do we need to, do we need to, get, do we need to take, get the population down? And he said, yeah, about 2 billion. Mm. In all seriousness, you know, it was not, this was not a, uh, a, a joke. You know. Yeah, look, I, th- I think that the... The thing that I feel we have to come back to, I think, particularly in the sense of of trying to to appeal or to, you know, sort of open other people up that might not already be open to these these ways of perceiving things, is I find it's useful to keep coming back to that question around authority and control and truth because whilst it's easy for you and I to be open enough to discuss, you know, these, these other more fringe aspects that are labeled as conspiracy theories, you know, when it comes to Bill Gates and 5g, it's like for some people, that's just a little bit too far and they shut down, you know, that cognitive dissonance because it's just, it's just too much for them. And this is why I keep coming back as I think the most important thing and something that maybe people can open up a little bit more easily to it's just even that basic question around what is the truth and ultimately questioning do those in power, whether that's the government, whether that's mainstream media, questioning do they actually have my best interests at heart, you know? And, and this kind of a question it's not hugely out there. It's not hugely fringe. You know, it's not something that you can easily just go, Oh, this guy's just a conspiracy theorist and, and sort of shoo it away. This, this is a, this is a huge, I think even first or second step for a, a lot of people that haven't quite woken up yet. You know, this is a huge first step, I think, to sort of introduce or step into this, this new level of awareness of just going, <laughs> hey, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't just accept everything that is being said on the news or in the newspapers. You know, what if I actually started to question whether some of what's being shared by the mainstream media and the mainstream agenda start to question and do my own sort of thinking and independent thinking and research? You know, that that I think is the ultimately the most important first step for people to take is just uh, to even start thinking for themselves. Mm. Yeah. And I, I must say that uh, in, in, in 2007, I, I ate magic mushrooms in, in Amsterdam. And okay, cool. I, I did it twice within four days, actually. And I was, I was, I was 18 years old. Mm. And uh, you could say that I was very lost in life. You know, I was in Europe uh, for, you know, a few weeks. 
and uh, the first the first dosage was quite mild and it was quite a euphoric experience it was quite beautiful um, I, I don't feel that there was a real like deepening into uh, you know multi-dimensional layers of, of, of identity or whatever but the second one was <laughs> very much uh, a, a deep dive into my psyche and also uh, to an, an, a deeper aspect of, of, of guess I would call it consciousness. There was just this question that was spinning through my head as I was just in this kind of, you know, this lived experience in that moment of, of feeling like I could be, I could suddenly activate my consciousness as any being, any, at least any human. You know, I could just be any human and I would just, I would never know. I would never know that I was not that human because that would be my whole story. Mm. And so this was, wow, this was like very, you know, never had I really thought about anything like that before or had that experience, you know. And so then uh, it was also a very challenging experience because I, I felt quite um, afraid actually that you know i was losing my mind i was losing i was losing my marbles mm. and i thought all these things that i thought that i was you know i thought i was passionate i thought i was passionate about playing australian football you know and i thought i was passionate about you know it's like, it's like not much you know like, i thought i was passionate about um it was nothing it was like i, I you know i had been studying a, a you know a degree uh, studying it was it was a commerce accounting major you know and this is this is in 2007 and I was 17 years old you know and I just I had no idea what was going on or or what was what is this and so I'm just basically being conditioned by all the people around me just to you know believe this and say that and like act like that and you know my life was completely dysfunctional well hopefully you haven't lost your passion for the footy mate <laughs> That's such a good one, actually, because you know what? Okay, this is. I, I want to give you a genuine answer to this question in, in, a, in a way. It's like just for the before, uh, f- for the non-Aussie listeners out there. Sorry, um, yeah, just a big. Uh, all the Aussie listeners will get that one. Big Aussie football reference. Anyway, sorry, go on. You know, it's funny for me because I've really, I've really given up on watching the Australian football. So I, I don't actually, I don't actually remember what happened in the grand final last year. I'm always at burning speed, actually. In the grand final, so, yeah. so I always miss it. So, but the thing that I was following a lot is the the European football. So the the, the UEFA Champions League, uh, you know, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, the uh, English Premier League, and a little bit uh, sometimes Paris Saint Germain um, in the French league. But um, yeah, I would I would watch the, the highlights of those uh, of the matches every every week and. You know, I, I used to set limits on the amount of time that I would allow myself to, uh, you know, watch these things on YouTube. And, you know, sometimes there's so many, so many matches played in a weekend. You know, I can watch the, the three-minute highlight reel of, like, you know, 30 different matches. And so, you know, that's like, that's like 90 minutes, you know. So yeah. what, what's happened is since, um, since it became clear that there was a, uh, you know, a, a pandemic um, that was creating a lot of chaos in the collective consciousness and collective uh, psyche, so to speak. I actually just tuned out of all of those things. 
um, that were not in alignment with the the reality that I desire to to live in. And that was fascinating because I, I always, ever since about 2013, I think, I, I used to always ask myself, like, when am I going to get bored of football? You know, like, when when am I going to stop thinking? When am I going to stop caring? And and it's only now that they don't play. <laughs> They're not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nobody's allowed to play professional sports right now. And yeah. so I just it just fell out of my sphere of uh, of things. And so I think Australian football is, is very much the same for me. And I think maybe that's happening for a lot of people at the moment where we're realizing that the the, the ways that we have found a sense of tribal um, connection in the past have often, well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is a lot of, a lot of them have been involved with alcoholic consumption. Mm. And I'm I'm not against alcohol at all. I I had some uh, I had some cocktails last night that were very, I, you know, just very small amounts of vodka and gin and uh, coffee liqueur or something like that. And so I'm not against alcohol at all. But I, I do think that there's a, a significant shift happening in society now where people are not able to go and and you know gather in large groups according to the law. And so that's really changing the way that people are going about their everyday life. I think. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So um, we've uh, we've spoke quite a bit already, um, which has been cool about the situation and um, diving a bit deep into some of those um, deeper concepts and deeper layers. I'm keen though to um, perhaps shift gears a little bit and start to discuss and explore a little bit, um, which still will tie back into it, but discuss a little bit more onto the theme of sexuality and particularly as that pertains to your experience and your work, because I think there's a really strong crossover theme, even just with what we've been discussing, particularly as it pertains to control and um, repression and to questioning the mainstream and dominant agenda. I think that there's, there's a whole nother aspect of um, that red pill experience or breaking through the veil of the matrix, even just on the level of sexuality, isn't there? So I'm, I'm curious perhaps for you to share and discuss um, your views and insights as to um, how that kind of awakening um, pertains to sexuality and how that relates to society and um, on that level of sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that question. Yeah. There's something for me around there's, there's layers to awakening. And so one of the very quite simplistic ways that I think about it is that we, we, we can begin by experiencing a spiritual awakening and, and recognizing that, you know, the thoughts that we think are not who we are and reality is much more complex than meets the eye actually is another, it's just having this experience of, of an inner knowing that there is multidimensional reality. And that the, the the 3D construct that we experience is not the all that is. And so then the next layer, for, this is just my personal experience. I don't know if this is, you know, it's going to relate to anyone else's experience at all. But I imagine it probably does for a few where this, the next layer is this sexual awakening. And what it really is to me is, so if I think about it in terms of elementals, it's, the, the spiritual awakening is the awakening of the air and water energy within us. 
and then the sexual awakening is the awakening of the the earth and fire elements within us and this is uh, kind of exponentially more powerful because we're actually then integrating all of the different elements and if we were if somebody was hypothetically to open up to the earth and or fire elements before the other elements then yeah i mean i'm sure that would be a different experience for people um i do feel that in the in the kind of um i want to say circles that i run in the kind of people that i actually spend time with on a day-to-day -day basis i think there's a lot of um acknowledgement of um this kind of multi-dimensional reality and just a kind of knowing and terms so in terms of the practicals of of this sexual awakening i think that it it really for me it begins and ends with breath actually mm. which has just been such a huge thing for me is just to realize just to, to to live this truth of like the way that i breathe is going to be potentially the the, the biggest impact on anything that I, that I feel so how does this relate to sexuality right it's because that's the thing is that we tend to think of sexuality as being something separate from our body but then when we realize you know it's like well whether we're looking at ancient teachings or just the wisdom of you know people who know in their souls uh you know how to express about these kind of things you know it's like the this the sexuality itself is really in the moving of the life force energy of the chi the key the kundalini, there's so many different traditions and that have different names for it. But this, this life force energy is really the, for me, it's like the, the key to my sexuality, whether that's um, personal or interpersonal. I'm, um, don't worry, Matt, I'm still listening. I just realized that I might've left my, um, Phone on, and I'm turning it on to airplane mode oh, just no to worries. make sure that we don't get a a rude awakening during the show. Oh, no so please yeah, go put, on. I put mine on Do Not Disturb, but hopefully, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes when it's on Do Not Disturb, the call the call comes in and like, you know, yeah. technology is uh, exactly. But please continue. Yeah, cool. So yeah, in terms of the sexuality stuff, I do think that we tend to get a pretty. Uh, uh, what's the word to describe this? The education that most of us receive around sexuality uh, has been, let's just say, dysfunctional. <laughs> that 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 would be putting it mildly. Very mildly, yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating because you know, for me, as a as as a tall male in a you know in a in a, living in a colonialized society and and also being of european background there's a there's a certain kind of there's a certain kind of entitlement that is kind of programmed into the social conditioning of somebody who you know just will just probably not have the self-awareness that's required in order to to recognize that you know, people, people will tend to respond from fear if, um, you know, they're confronted 
with a, a strong energy. And so uh, to put this into context, um, I do feel that amongst a lot of young people, particularly teenagers, but also people in their 20s as well, and some older, are commonly experiencing uh, a lack of synergy in their sexual relationships. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of you know, casual sexual um, you know, dynamics. And, and I'm not anything against that at all, actually. I, I just think everybody should have as much fun as possible. Um, it'll really raise the frequency of the planet. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that one of the one of the limitations to having this fun that I'm talking about is really just understanding consent on an embodied level. Because we, we can we can blabber about consent, um, you know, till the cows come home. But if if we're just doing it, if we're just coming from our mind. And trying to understand like the rules of the game, you know, it's like always ask somebody before you touch them, and um, you know, don't get naked unless everybody's giving you their consent. I'm just like, yeah, all right, maybe, maybe not. It depends on the context, and when we really tune into this part of ourselves that is beyond the mind, then we can start to to really tune into like what is actually in the flow here. Like, uh, where is my flow of life force energy desiring to take me as i surrender to the great mystery and just be in my experience totally which is which is possibly very different to a purely mental um decision based on consent agree with that yes and i think I, i think that verbal consent is generally speaking a very good portal to developing that embodied understanding because essentially practice tends to help and i feel like the the thing that i would say that i'm more of an expert at than anything else is probably playing with polarities and i really enjoy doing this in a sexually charged space as well and so to to come to a place of the thing that's coming to mind is inner peace really uh, that's and the breath <laughs> really just letting go of the the trauma in the body as well there's, just, there's so many layers you know, emotional release tools have been really powerful for me um, but by delving into all these parts of myself and exploring archetypes and uh, all this kind of stuff i've I've just gained this very embodied uh, you know, capacity to to read the energy of an, of any particular interaction, mm-hmm. and it's with with time and practice. <laughs> this is the thing: is basically, you know, I, I made it sound like a bit like a lunatic, but I think people aren't getting enough uh, practice at having sex and being sexual <laughs> and and uh, and intimate, you know, and and whatever 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 type of intimate relating floats your boat, you know. And I do think it's a bit politically correct these, these days even to say, to have sex. And then people sometimes ask, well, what kind of sex are you talking about? Are you talking about heteronormative, uh, you know? <laughs> the, the, and people, people won't usually use the tantric terminology when they're in that headspace. Mm-hmm. Right? But then when in tune down, you go, well, are we talking about lingams and yonis? You know, it really breaks the program so much because, and this, I feel like this is where this conversation is really leading. It's this, this understanding of the psychology of the mass 
um, brainwashing group think, you know, like sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, mm. sex is bad. You know, we, it's, that's what we learn. And at the same time, there's a conflicting message of buy this and you could be like this. Imagine if you were wearing this dress, mm. you would be like this person who is really rich and famous. And, you know, then that's such a program that gets bought into and, you know, around the sexuality piece, I think what essentially happens is that we develop a concept that, that sexuality is shameful and sex is shameful. And also that, you know, we think, we think of, we, we think of masturbating. I just call it self-pleasuring. Mm. It's once we remove any kind of charge around it. It's just like, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, it's like, I touch my body and sometimes I touch my genitals, you know, and I, you know, it's just a beautiful experience. Um, and because there's that self-love there, there's not that kind of separation of the, you know, it's like the, my mind and my body. It's like, well, it's, <laughs> this is my body, mind, self, you know, and, and this is, this, and in my animal, so in my animal body, that's where I'm experiencing everything in every moment. And so that's a huge reframe, I think. And then when it gets extrapolated out into, um, into, relating with another person or with maybe many people, you know, we can now start to, to have intimacy without having an agenda and without, without trying to force anything. And mm. also without um, trying to be some kind of, uh, you know, savior. Um, that's a huge program for people in relationships, I think is wanting to save someone mm. and, you know, what, whatever it is that we're not seeing in ourselves, that we're actually, whatever programs we're playing out, we, we, based on those programs, we tend to polarize in some particular direction in, in terms of energetics. And so then the opposite polarity of that, whatever it is, there's a lot of ways to map this stuff, but, which is really interesting, but the opposite polarity of, of what we're embodying is what we're going to attract. Mm, for sure. And it creates charge. And that's fun. <laughs> but it's also yeah, a lot of trauma. Yeah, I think um, one of the things you touched on before, I think is a real key here in regards to this theme and topic, and that's particularly uh, shame. And I think that when we're looking at the shadow aspects of um, sexuality in society and the indoctrination that's occurring and the dysfunction, as you mentioned, which I said to put it lightly, it's very, very, a very, very dysfunctional relationship that we have with sexuality in modern society so much of it is around shame and this comes back to um you know not to completely blame the church but there is uh some significant linkages there to sexual repression and the church and religion and making people feel bad around their sexuality or feel uh, naughty or shameful or bad and this is still, I think, key and one of the biggest problems that I see and experience is that if we're to acknowledge that our sexuality and our sexual energy is directly connected to our life force, which it is, if we're not able to feel comfortable or safe to fully express that um, sexual energy or the or our sexuality because we feel like it might be a little bit different or a little it goes against the grain of what is accepted in modern society mm -hmm. 
it's a huge, huge problem because essentially what is being blocked and what is being shut down is the very core energetics or expression of ourselves. And, you know, when that is blocked, you know, as you would know, can lead to all kinds of health problems, all kinds of psychological, emotional problems. Because when your se- when your sexual energy is blocked in any way, it's going to have huge ramifications on their health. You know, this is something I was reading about recently. It's like someone might be feeling incredibly fatigued. Someone might be feeling depressed and they're trying all kinds of supplements and they're trying all kinds of routines and trying all this stuff. But it may actually be that um, this person's sexual energy is, is deeply repressed, is unexpressed. You know, there's no opportunity for it to be um, let out. And it's a huge, huge thing. And I think this is still this is still such a big problem in society, and is actually a very, very sad thing. I think that something as pure and beautiful as sexual expression, particularly in a way that doesn't harm or affect anyone in a negative way, the fact that that can be repressed or shut down or judged is a really sad and tragic thing that we're still experiencing in society because everyone, I think, should ultimately be free to express their sexuality in, in any way they choose without fear of um, being shamed or judged. And, yeah, we've still got a long way to go there, don't we? It's, it's a big one. I, I've been delving deep into polarity mapping recently mm. and what i essentially create with the map is like a it's a it's like a an x and y axis of uh of, of uh there's yin and yang and light and dark and so it might be it might be quite difficult for people to conceptualize it without having it like having it on a piece of paper but mm. um the, so I, I, I really working with the elements around those things because there are four quadrants that are created. You know, there's a space in the, the where the light and the yang are meeting. You know, that's a that's a quadrant of its own and a certain polarity of its own. And so I work I work a lot there with the elements, but also kind of gone deep into really understanding like what's the essence of each one. And so in this, uh, and I, I I do like to call it by like the I call it like the light masculine and the dark feminine and the light the the light feminine and the dark masculine. I find it has a good ring to it, so I just kind of roll with it. But I do think that people can get confused and think that it has something to do with gender, uh, but it doesn't. So, mm-hmm. um, what I'm kind of getting to is that the essence of the dark masculine energy is clarity, and the thing is that when we have this clarity, we, we have, we feel freedom. That's our, we just have, we're free. But when we're out of balance with that, then we tend to be forcing. So if we're forcing something and that could be a very, very subtle thing, it could be as subtle as I need to make my, uh, my uncle understand that, you know, refugees are having, uh, you know, there's a great injustice against refugees and indigenous people, in Australia and I'm very angry about it and, or whatever or usually it's really sadness I think that's covering up the anger but I think honestly that this is where we this is where we get into shame is from is through the experience of forcing something and so for some people that experience has been in a sexual space as well 
and the sexual shame can be so intense. So especially for people like myself, you know, conditioned and programmed to be a boy and then a man, the social construct of, of, of who we are in this binary gender um, thingy, polarity, if you like. Um, which of course, it's not a dichotomy. I don't think anything is black and white like that. I think it's absurd to think about it like that. Um, but I didn't always think like that because I, I was programmed with that conditioning. And a lot of that conditioning is basically around like, you know, if, if, if you want to be a man, then you need to have sex. You know, it's like you need to, you need to, and, it, and the, just the conditioning and the way that the pornography affects the mind and the way of, you know, that mm. others, others are, are objectified within that ego construct of seeing oneself as being totally separate from everybody around. And so, and so coming through that ego space, there's this desire to be sexual with someone and it's, and the agenda is so strong that it actually completely blocks it from just flowing, um, which is the, the sad irony of it. But when people do try to force themselves on somebody else, they do end up, I really believe that they end up feeling ashamed about it when they wake up. And so then that shame just gets, is just lodged in our bodies. And so there's so, such a rabbit hole that, that needs to be, to be gone down, not in anything to do with conspiracy theories, <laughs> but just purely to do with, with, you know, just understanding oneself and once when the nature of the mind and the nature of the awareness that is, you know, behind the mind, so to speak, um, then we, you know, we, we actually have to process that shame and, and processing that shame is often going to mean it's going to have, there's going to be a lot of sadness. And so for me, in terms of my um, experiences in my late teens and early twenties, you know, I, I, I look back and I think oh, just, sometimes it was a bit weird or I just didn't, um, I didn't, there wasn't real intimacy. And so for me now, I look at my, my, my life and the sexual relationships that I have and, and it, there's so much, um, connection and intimacy and I, I do feel that I've been able to access that because I've been able to clear all the clear the shame I've just been able to to own my entire life experience and just say yep it's me hello the past is the past it's an interesting um it's an interesting thing actually too because one of the um one of the journeys that I've been on and, you know, some of the teachings that I've found myself uh, listening to and reflecting on and working through was that, so I've had some experience and involvement in the conscious um, community to do with Tantra and, and sort of sexual energetic work and have definitely um, dipped my toe in those waters. I don't think I've been as, as heavily um, involved or experienced as you have. Um, with some of that work, but you know, I've definitely um, immersed myself to some extent, if not as deep as you have, but definitely have some experience there. And one of the interesting things that I found is that a lot of my spiritual development and work around awakening has gone probably much, much deeper on the level of the third eye, 
you know, if we're to mm. think of chakras, you know, to mm-hmm. think of the, the crown or the third eye. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of very deep meditation work, intensive retreats. Um, you know, it's kind of like you can think about levels of spiritual awakening and levels of spiritual development. And, you know, there's those levels that, for example, I'm more referring to like Buddhist monks, for example. I'm, I'm by no means a Buddhist monk, but, you know, that emphasis on spiritual development of what's the word I'm trying to use, that, that emphasis that is all around a path that is actually quite cut off from sexual experience and sexuality. You know, for example, there's a lot of monks that, you know, can have sexual experiences and can have sex. Uh, There's a lot that can't, but it's not something that I think is emphasised. You know, usually if you're a monk or you're prioritising a very monastic or meditative existence, even if, you know, it's not in that strict Christian way, there may be opportunities to be sexual or have sex, but it's not really encouraged or there's not a lot of opportunity because you might be staying in some isolated ashram or some isolated monastery or something like that. And so there's many people going down this path of going very, very deep spiritually and trying to essentially become enlightened or to wake up. And a lot of it's all very much through the third eye or, or through the crown chakras. And actually there's, there's a lot of um, lack of development or lack of experience through those lower chakras, you know, and mm-hmm. through the sexual. And I mean, we can go back and we can look at the, um, the ancient Vedic texts around sexual development and the Kama Sutra and see that um, sexuality can be another gateway, you know, whether it's through that sexual chakra or the lower chakras, that can be another gateway to awakening and enlightenment. And one thing that I've found personally is that you, you can't really sidestep that. I think ultimately it will come back to bite you. And that's been part of my experience has that, you know, on my path to a certain extent along the way, there has been what I've felt sometimes an overemphasis on diving deeply into that, that path that goes through the gates of the third eye and the crown, the more monastic, the more Buddhist kind of approach and not ignoring sexuality, but just not kind of emphasizing that, that path or gateway as much. Mm-hmm. And I think it can really, really come back to bite you. And, and to use an example, we can see this with, so many, a number of very, very famous enlightened masters and yogis have, you know, who supposedly were said to be enlightened or attained high levels of spiritual development and powers. There's many examples of them being found um, to be guilty of sexual misconduct. You know, they've been um, having sex with a lot of their students and not, not necessarily in a way that's um, respectful and honoring proper boundaries, you know, taking advantage of their students sexually, all kinds of sexual misconduct. And it just goes to show that the sexual energy is so powerful, this aspect of development. It seems like the more that you repress it, the more that you push it down, um, it can really come back to bite you. And it's, it's a really fascinating dichotomy to me because there's still many supposedly great spiritual teachers and spiritual masters. They talk about the role of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brahmacharya. They talk about Brahmacharya, which is essentially um, closing off consciously and closing off your sexual energy 
and deliberately not engaging in sexual relations with any other person, um, not self-pleasuring, not masturbating. Essentially, what, what the idea is, is to take all that energy that would come out through sexual um, ways and essentially taking that energy and moving it and using it as a fuel or a source for your spiritual development through the heart, you know, and this, this tool of brahmacharya is essentially becoming um, somewhat monastic. And some teachers say that this is the quickest and most powerful path to attain enlightenment is actually to close off to that um, sexual energy or to channel it in another direction to increase your spiritual powers and spiritual development. And um, yeah, this is, this is a, a, a discussed path. This is a, a path that some masters take. And what they actually say is they say that if you're self-pleasuring a lot, if you're having a lot of sex, whether it's with one person or multiple partners, that this is actually depleting your um, spiritual energy, that it is essentially leaking or draining this um, spiritual um, fuel that would otherwise be used to um, channel and catalyze a faster process of spiritual awakening. Yeah, I think it, I like to, I love to come back to the uh, concept before that we had of spiritual awakening and sexual awakening. Mm. And so it's, it's funny because I think there's a bit of a paradigm shift that goes on for me that has gone on for me where I, I start to ask myself, so all these masters, these gurus, these people that I've put on a pedestal and that I've looked up to and I've seen as my teacher and all this kind of stuff. What if they're actually like kind of, focusing on the on 11th dimensional consciousness which is like this whole lived experience of oneness mm. right the, that 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 moment by moment knowing of like oh i'm one with everything yeah non-dualistic yeah so that 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 is a thing but i i have this feeling like people that don't go down the sexual awakening path that kind of stick to the spiritual they don't actually integrate all of these dimensional um, attunements, so to speak. Um, that's just my perspective, but I don't can't speak for them. But hmm. it does feel like there's a kind of opening to the 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 world of form. There's like a, there's like a deeper opening, um, and I think yeah, there's it's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a a yin and yang thing almost. Where it's like to be in that spiritual connection, you know, it's powerful, but it, that connects to, you know, that that sort of, I guess you could say that connects to the cosmos, and then there's also, you know, a connection to the earth, and that's, you know, the thing is that the earth, you know, in our perception, is so much smaller than the cosmos. So maybe we think that, oh, well, the cosmos is so much bigger, so I can get so much more exploration um, through going that way. You know? But it's like, what if I would go down through my base? 
that would be like a whole other thing. That would be really accessing the earth and like, oh, isn't there like fire down there as well? You know, it's like, wow, like, wow, wow, wow. What if I really connect to that part of myself that is just unfiltered and raw and like primal and that part of myself that is really able to access my experience as being an animal. I remember the first time I ever had DMT was at a festival in Portugal, Boom Festival in 2016. And uh, uh, a man who, that was his full-time occupation, was creating uh, Changa and then serving it to people. And I just asked him like, hey, would you be willing to serve me right now? And he was like, yeah, sure, let's go outside. And I was like, all right, <laughs> this is happening. Yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you didn't just do it on the dance floor. Didn't do it on the dance floor. We made it really into like a very sacred ritual. And it was yeah. very, very powerful. But one thing that he said to me that I, that basically I didn't follow through on his uh, advice or whatever, for better or for worse. Um, he said, I advised you. He, well, I can't remember how he said it. He just kind of said, you know, that he felt I would get the greatest benefit by, by smoking the entirety of the, what was being served, which was a very significant dose. Um, and so... <laughs> I then I started smoking it and, and I just had a bit of a flashback to a moment back in 2013. I remember I, 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 I smoked a large amount of cannabis in one hit from a pipe and it really kind of overwhelmed me um, in, the, in the following minutes and, and hours even. And I just had a flashback to that moment and I just kind of made this split decision, to sec, split second decision to just sort of like say, okay, that's enough for me. And so... I didn't have this breakthrough dose, which I have had since with other types of DMT. Um, but I, I remember really sitting there and, and going into this really deep space um, and really looking at my body and just saying to myself like, wow, it's like, I'm sorry. I'm a sexual being, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm an animal. And that was like a really powerful kind of, I don't know, deepening into that. And so, yeah, all of this is basically to say that, you know, this is all, I think this is repressed. I think this is massively repressed in, in, in human beings. And I think that this, the, the whole world of spirituality, um, you know, it has so many facets. It's, so, it's, such a, it's such a rabbit hole of its own, right? And there are many aspects of the world of spirituality that don't include anything to do with sexuality. Yep. And to me, that's, that's a really significant thing. And <laughs> don't seem to realize. Yeah. It's, um, it's uh, like leaving salt out of the, you made a beautiful, made a beautiful meal or a beautiful recipe, but you've forgotten the salt. For me, it's, for me, it's, it's the salt and the pepper. <laughs> I, need, I like both <laughs> and yeah. sometimes hot sauce <laughs> yeah awesome <laughs> love it <laughs> oh, it's it's interesting this this um this animal thing or this animalistic thing that you've brought up because it's been quite fascinating for me in some of my personal experience without going into too much um, specific detail 
I, I, I do see this animalistic aspect. Um, I see a lot of disconnection there and a lot of repression there as that pertains to, to sexuality because there is this primal aspect to all of us. You know, we're really not that far removed from um, our primal genes and, you know, the days of primal living, you know, before pre-industrialized society or pre-industrialized society. And one thing I find really interesting is that there's a narrative that is out in the open or is developed in society and it's sort of developed within people living in society, but there's a whole nother unconscious narrative that is very different and very opposing. And this is this polarity and this duality playing out. And I'll give you a really, a really classic and interesting example. And this is touching a little bit onto um, female sexuality that on one level, the experience in society or the narrative is that that we're seeing played out is that, and this ties back into male sexuality as well, obviously it's a bit of a can of worms. There's been a lot that's come out recently in recent times around the, the patriarchy, um, toxic masculinity and male aggression and male dominance being a really negative energy and being a really negative thing. And I'm not disputing or arguing this fact. I openly acknowledge that there are toxic masculine aspects. There are shadow aspects of um, the masculine and the dominant masculine in terms of how much control it enforces over others and enforces over women. Not denying that at all, huge aspect. But what I find is really interesting is that at the same time, I've seen and experienced this toxic masculine and this strong, powerful, primal masculine or dominant masculine being shut down in certain aspects in society. It's actually also had a negative side effect. And what you, what you will see and what I've experienced is that the, the primal deep need for the feminine to surrender to that dominant primal masculine is actually becoming more hidden. And so you have this, this dualistic narrative playing out, which is really quite bizarre where on one level, men are feeling really self-conscious now to, to be really dominant because they don't want to upset the apple cart and they don't want to cross the line or to be seen as toxic, you know, and to cross the line with a woman of being too strong or, or coming on too strong or to be too forceful in their directness with their sexuality towards women. But at the same time, there's a, there's a deep aspect of the feminine that really wants this, that wants to surrender, that wants to be, to, that wants to be dominated, that wants to be completely consumed and dominated by a strong masculine energy and this is really confusing as a man in society. I 100% agree. Yeah. So for me, like the first thing that comes to mind is just about the concept of masculinity. Mm. And so in, in my mind, it's just it, the entire thing is a social construct. There's, there's absolutely, in my opinion, there's no built-in masculinity of a male person so that's not to say that the body is not different of course it is no it's like that's just 
genes and things that are done, and chromosomes and things I don't understand. You know, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> and the thing is with the, the whole gender thing is that for me, just completely disidentifying from any concept of like, am I a man, am I a woman, am I gender neutral, am I, uh, you know, I, I, I've zoomed out. And so by being able to zoom out, I think that we're able to look at energies of feminine and masculine and understand that they're actually just polarities of energy. Mm. And so when we start to, to, to think from the perspective of all beings are equal measure of feminine, masculine, light, and dark, and we, we polarize to certain energies based on either conditioning or a conscious choice to enter a polarity knowing actually how that polarity feels and, and, how, the, and how the opposite polarity is met through polarizing to one particular polarity. So it might sound a bit woo for some people <laughs> and it's like a bit, it's a bit out there to think about this, like it's everything, all, everything's energy, right? It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like we're, you know, we are, most of us, I think it's about 99% of people are born into a male body or a female body. And then I believe it's actually 1% of people are born not as one or the other because it's not a pure binary. And this, I think, is one of the, the deepest programs is that there's binaries like this. You know, so it's like so feminine and masculine, they're binary. And, you know, well, if I'm a, if I'm female, then I'm going to, I'm a woman, you know, and it's like, and that means that I'm the divine feminine, if you get all spiritual about it, <laughs> or whatever. And I'm just like, no, that's not who you are. <laughs> I mean, I'm not here to, to tell you who you are. I'm just here to ask you, you know, like, are you sure? <laughs> And so that's, and it's the same, and I see it everywhere and I see people playing out these programs. And I think that the biggest program for men is the white knight program. And I see it everywhere with this whole thing, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the, the C word, the, the situation. Um, what's, what's playing out is people, people are stepping into this role of protector. It's like, I'm here to protect all the people from the bad ones who are going to spread a disease. And I'm just like, guys, can you just zoom out a little bit? You know, it's like, it's like this whole thing, you know, it's like, it, it's a polarity. So it's like the light masculine. And so then the opposite polarity of that is the dark feminine. And if you're in the shadow of the dark, of the light masculine, because you're just in this martyrdom construct, you know, or martyrdom program and you just, overgiving and burning yourself out, you know, which is the thing that a lot of people do um, in various ways. Then if you do that, you're going to be meeting the opposite polarity, which is also going to be in shadow, which is the dark feminine uh, in shadow, which is the kind of energy of chaotic emotions. And, you know, when it's really in deep in shadow, there's, a, there's an entitlement and a manipulation and all of these kind of layers of, um, yeah, like, behaviors that come out and really we we are all equal measure of all of these polarities but we just mostly become identified with one you know any particular polarity and i think for most you know uh, most people raised as boys and 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 who are men um basically 
just slice my turn. No. My friends are just leaving. <laughs> I'm I'm breaking the laws because I decided that I'm a sovereign being. It's all right. We'll um we'll edit that out so that um the government doesn't come and try to um take you away, Patrick. Perfect. <laughs> I just if they if they come, I'm just going to tell them like nope, I've I've renounced my <laughs> renounced my uh, whatever. Yeah. I'll burn my passports. I'll be like, yeah, yeah. I have my passports. I'm burning. Anyway, um, uh, do you, do you remember where I was up to? Uh, yeah, you were you were just sort of talking about these polarities um, between the like the for example the the white knight and the light masculine and the dark feminine and mm-hmm. those opposing forces and just mm-hmm. um, touching on that stuff. Totally. So I think I think that most most men tend to get identified with this concept of like, mm. I'm here, I'm a space holder, you know, I'm, I make people feel safe and, you know, I'm nice. And, you know, I always ask, ask for consent before I touch anybody and blah, blah, blah. And then people like me are around and then like suddenly, you know, and I mostly hang out in these kind of like quite hetero dominated um, communities, like in the, especially near gentle world. Yeah. And, and then people like me come around and then, and then there's just all of these women just like flocking to me. <laughs> and that's, and that's where it just, it's really funny for me because what I realized is that because I'm so, because I've, I've owned and embodied my, my darkness, like the divine darkness in myself, people are attracted to this integration. It's, they, they feel this pull towards me because they see that I'm actually, I've actually integrated um, these polarities. And so having the, the ability and the willingness to polarize into this dark masculine space is very penetrative. And so basically the main thing I say is, you know, <laughs> what's your safe word? <laughs> That's the question number one. <laughs> and then it's like, it's like, will you say Amber if it's getting close to your boundaries? Will you say, uh, you know, we say pause if you need to stop for a second. We say red if it's like at your limit and you need to stop. You need to like slow it down. And by asking these questions, there's a kind of, there's a, there's a it's interesting because the whole concept of safety for me is a little bit um, out of, the way that we think of safety is like that we can create safety for other people, but I don't believe that that's true. I believe that we can, we can only create safety for ourselves in our own experience personally. And then the person that we're with can vibrationally match us at that, in that space of, of personal responsibility and ownership. Well, it sounds as though the, uh, the energy has shifted to one that the conversation is no longer able to be continued. We've had some technical issues coming through in terms of the uh, reception. Uh, but we've been getting to the end of the podcast and the end of the show anyway. So we will uh, wrap it up. I'd like to thank Patrick for being our guest on the show for this week and diving deep on all kinds of topics as they pertain to the current COVID situation and sacred sexuality. It's been an absolute pleasure. Tune in again to Awakening Vitality. Uh, next Monday, in a week's time, we will be chatting with Chris Kelly and going down the medicine path. Thank you. Take care and stay happy.
Thanks for watching and listening to the Awakening Vitality podcast, guys. Hope that you enjoyed it. We had a few technical difficulties there towards the end with the audio and the video, so we had to cut off a little bit early, so a bit of an abrupt ending. Please don't forget to like and subscribe to my channel on YouTube. That really helps me to develop the channel. You can also read more information on the work that I do and the work that Patrick does in the information down below. Please uh, check that out and uh, leave comments, questions, feedback, anything. It's all interactive. It is all good. So looking forward to catching you guys next week for the next episode. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Awakening Vitality with Dr. Jai. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and get notified of upcoming episodes. Until next time, stay well, stay happy.